0: This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 410.
1: In my world, consistently I have found the soft, positive persuasion, draw you in rather than push you against the wall, is always for me the more winning version of
0: the pitch a fast and practical visual storytelling method that puts a powerful new toolkit into the hands of leaders innovators salespeople teachers and anyone else who needs to quickly make an impact on increasingly distracted audiences yes please hi i'm jeff brown and this is the read to lead podcast the podcast that is dedicated to your personal and professional growth we are here because of my belief that if you want to achieve true success in your business and in your life then intentional and consistent reading is a must. I hope the Read to Lead podcast can not only help to narrow your reading list, but also for the books that we do feature, help bring out the key insights and main ideas from those books through our conversations with the authors themselves. Today, we're joined by author Dan Rome, who's been here a couple of times before. His latest book, which came out last October, is called The Pop-Up Pitch, the two-hour creative sprint to the most persuasive presentation of your life. I'll be asking Dan to explain what a pop-up pitch is and why you need one, the types of meetings the pop-up pitch method is designed to help improve, why it is that rarely anyone wants to hear your whole story and how Dan's book and method address that, and much, much more. As you might have guessed, I'm a big believer in practicing consistently. Of course, reading is one of those things for me. But it's one of several habits I practice consistently. I talk about all five of them in my ebook called Dream Big: The 5 Personal Habits That Will Supercharge Your Life Dream. Is an acronym for each of the five. I'll give you one guess as to what the R stands for. If you'd like this ebook for free, you can get it at my website go to readtoleadpodcast.com and simply enter your first name and your email address in the form. In the upper right hand corner of the page. Again, that's read to to get my free ebook called Dream Big The Five Personal Habits That Will Supercharge Your Life. Dan Rome is the author of four international bestsellers on clear thinking, visual storytelling, and persuasive communications, including books like The Back of the Napkin, one of my all time favorites. Draw to Win, a book he's been on this show to talk about, Show and Tell, another book he's been on the show to talk about, and blah, blah, blah. His books have helped leaders at Microsoft, eBay, General Electric, Google, IBM, Walmart, and many more organizations solve complex problems through visual thinking. His new book is called The Pop-Up Pitch, the two-hour creative sprint to the most persuasive presentation of your life. Well, Dan, I am thrilled to have you back for what I believe now is your third visit. So, welcome back to the Read to Lead podcast.
1: Well, Jeff, uh, uh, thank you so much for having me come back. It's it's always fun to to chat with you, and um, always have new stories
0: to tell. Well, I want to start my first question with where you begin in the book, and that's this definition: what is a pop up pitch in the first place, and and why do we need one of these things?
1: Oh, what? Well, what a great <laughs> question, Jeff. Thank you. Yes, so a pop up <laughs> pitch. Think about it in the way that a pop-up restaurant or a pop-up store might go back in the days when we used to go outside of our of our offices. Right. The whole notion would be this. I have spent my career, as probably many of your listeners have, kind of embroiled in the, what we're going to call the presentation industrial complex. (laughs) This idea that uh, every time we need to make a presentation, we're going to boot up our PowerPoint or our Google Docs, and we're going to make an enormous capital investment in, this is the presentation that I'm going to put everything I know into. Mm. And I like the analogy of thinking, what would happen if we just did a pop-up version rather than opening up the whole restaurant with the giant investment? What would happen if we just did a kind of an MVP version of our pitch, a minimum viable product version, where we fairly quickly came up with what is the core of the story that I need to tell? And then using some thoughtful tools, cooked up A quick version of our pitch that is quick both to put together and very quick to share with someone so that we could test our idea, our persuasive presentation with our audience without having to overwhelm them with 45 minutes of material, but instead maybe give them a taste, maybe give them six or seven minutes of a handful of quickly drawn slides and images uh, that tell a compelling story, and then let our audience be captivated enough to say, wait, give me more. So the idea of the pop-up pitch is pitch quickly, thoughtfully by telling a story and let your audience then ask you for more. Does that make sense?
0: Makes makes perfect sense. You made me think of something that we're often guilty of when we're listening to other people. And that's thinking in our minds, what we're going to say in response and and how that relates to us versus truly listening to what it is they're saying and maybe replying with a question, et cetera. But we have to realize, I think, and you point this out, that when it comes to our presentations, very rarely does anyone really want to hear your whole story. What they really want is to hear enough to be able to respond with their own story. Describe that sort of thought process in this context.
1: Well, how, how true that is. You said it better than I could say it, Jeff. I mean, the idea is it is a rare day when someone really, really, really wants to hear your whole story. What we're hoping for is to hear enough in your story that it resonates with me so that I see my situation and my problem and my challenge and my opportunity in what you are sharing. And then if you've told your story beautifully enough, I can't wait for the opportunity to say, oh, Jeff, that's so awesome. Let me tell you about my reaction to it, which in the typical presentation situation, we don't really do. We think I've been given an hour to pitch my goods. I better take the whole hour. Well, if you're going to be up on stage and you've been given an hour, then well, you better be really prepared to entertain for an hour. But that's pretty rare. Usually in a pitch situation, it's meant to be much more of a give and a take. And I think as the presenter, we might want to think about taking a little less and maybe giving a little more. And interestingly, that means listening more. So yes, we're the one with the idea that we need to share. That's why we're the one making the pitch. And we can talk later, Jeff, about what a pitch might be. It can be a lot of things, but Mm. we're the one with the idea that we'd like people to think about or the product that we'd like people to try, what have you. Why don't we share it with that audience in the form of a story that very quickly starts to sound to them like a story that is their own, and then let them, with just the right amount of prep from us, turn it into their own, and then we listen and say, yes, you're right, and here's how what I'm thinking about might help you.
0: There's a drawing early in the book that explains five different kinds of meetings and the importance of identifying the kind of meeting that you're having before you have it. (laughs) My brother is the co-founder and CEO of a company called Docket, a productivity platform designed to make meetings better before they start while they're happening and long after they're over. I took a picture of that page from your book and sent it to him. He's like, oh, what book is that? <laughs> I, I need to get that. We need to, we need to study that for, for our company. Um, before I get into how you've laid out the book in the first hour and the second hour, which we'll explain in a moment, talk about the kinds of meetings the pop-up pitch is going to help improve, as well as the kinds of meetings that they're focused on in the book itself. Well, thank you for that. And it was the reason why, Jeff, in
1: the book, The Pop-Up Pitch, I put this sort of meeting matrix, the five different types of meetings right up front, is because I wanted to make it clear that on the surface of it, not every meeting we're going to do is a pitch. I mean, there are certain meetings that are just simply information delivery. So say, for example, if I'm the director of HR within a company and we've got a new compensation or a new healthcare plan that we need to share it's really information delivery. Here's the new policy. You just need to know it. And it's not necessarily meant to inspire or convince anybody to do anything different. It's just information delivery. Mm -hmm. Fine. And then we've got other meetings that we have that are really about making a decision. Like we've got three different options here and we really all need to be heard. Mm -hmm. And we need to make this decision on this particular call because the clock is ticking. Then there's another type of a meeting, which might be one that we'd call more of of true insight delivery or knowledge delivery. You know, wow, if we look at our market space, there's some recent information that really changes a whole lot of ways we might think about our business or our ecosystem. And I want to share a lot of that knowledge with you, which you might think of more as educational. So Mm -hmm. along this spectrum, from pure information delivery to all the way through generating tremendous insight and making decisions. There's a spectrum there. And one of the high points of that spectrum of meetings, to me, the most critical of all of them, is the meeting where I do need to pitch you on something. And let's be really clear about what we mean by a pitch. It's not necessarily a sales pitch, Hmm. but the type of meeting where I think the pop-up approach works the best is the one where by the time this meeting is over, I want to have accomplished a few things. I want to share with you an idea that you might not have thought of before. And then I want you to think that that idea is really a good one. And then I want you to make a change either in your thinking or your action to adopt at least some element of the idea or the solution that I've Mm -hmm. shared with you. So that's pitch kind of writ large. Mm. I need to share with you some new information, hopefully persuade you that it's important to you and hopefully persuade you that you might want to take an action on it. That's what I consider the pitch meeting. Learning how to be a good and quick and visual storyteller is going to help you in the whole spectrum of meetings. I mean, even if you are the HR exec and you've got a new policy to deliver, to be able to share with people why you've done it and how it's going to benefit them and here's the ins and outs of it, it's going to help if you're a good storyteller. But where that really is going to make a difference is when it comes time to persuade. And and Jeff, I know I'm saying a lot, but I'd like to add one more thought in there sure. if I if I may. If we think about persuasion in particular in the context of a pitch, and we'll just talk about sales for the time being, because that's the most obvious example of a pitch. Hmm. I could hard sell you like, Hey, Jeff, this is the thing you really need to do, and your life's going to be a whole lot better if you just need to do this thing where I'm pushing the information on you. I could do that, a hard sell, or I could do more of a soft sell where I draw you in. Hey, Jeff, there's a situation out there with people that might look a little bit like you. And in that situation, here's some of the things that they've found are effective for them. In my world, consistently, I have found that the soft, positive persuasion, draw you in rather than push you against the wall is always for me, the more winning version of the pitch. So when I talk about a pop-up pitch, I always think about it in terms of positive persuasion. Even if the news that I have to deliver is bad news, Mm. that news will be received much more effectively by an audience. If I am honest and I deliver even the bad news within the context of a story that still feels good. And that's a little bit of a, a nuance, and we can talk about that. But is what I'm sharing so far making sense?
0: Yes, in part because I've read the book. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> no, it's, it's making perfect sense. I'm teasing. Um, I mentioned a moment ago that the way Dan has laid this out is you know, part one, if you will, is or exercise one is a one-hour process, and that's creating what's called a visual decoder. Part two is the 10-page pitch template. Uh, for many of us, and, and there's a quote from you, Dan, in the book that I like that caught my attention, we've been taught that storytelling is a word game, and until you have words, you don't have a story. Uh, talk about this misconception and, and how the visual decoder addresses that specifically.
1: Yeah. Wow. Thank you, Jeff. What a great, what a great, great question. It goes right to the heart of of pretty much everything that's in the book and everything that I've learned over these over these decades of doing so many thousands of presentations we want to be storytellers we understand that the notion of being a storyteller in business is is kind of a giant thought that's out there in in the zeitgeist of presentations and sales and business storytelling is is king we know that now and part of what we're reflecting on is the fact that we've all been raised hearing and watching stories whether that's in movies or novels or grandpa or around the campfire or mm. sermons or what have you there's stories all around us and we know that stories for emotional and even neurochemical reasons neurobiological reasons are the most positive way the most influential way to share information with someone so we know that we know we want story but most of us think that a story is just a string of words that are put together. That's not really true. Most stories actually begin with a kind of a vision, an idea of images and events and characters that spin out over time. And then the story becomes the verbal narrative that we apply to this kind of epic journey so that we can share it in a linear fashion. Mm -hmm. But the story doesn't begin with the linear ABC. The story begins much more visually with something that we conjure in our mind's eye. So, that's what I mean by the visual part. And that's why in the two-hour practice that builds you your pop-up pitch, as you pointed out, I advocate that the first hour be spent on just drawing pictures. Mm. And you mentioned this tool that I call the visual decoder. It's a very, very simple structure. It's just a little folded pen and paper exercise that forces us, whether we're visual people or whether we like to draw or not, into trying to capture the story, the grand story that's already in our mind in a way that's maybe a little faster and a little more intuitive for most people than trying to write it out. Mm. And so that's what we're going to do is we're just going to sketch out and literally, Jeff, it's you have a story you want to share. Who's in it? Draw me some little stick figures of who are the main characters. Mm. Cool. Take minutes to do that. Then draw me another little picture that's a little map. At the beginning of your story, where are these characters located? Like is the little Red Riding Hood character going to walk through a forest on her way to the house? Mm -hmm. And you know that's silly, but think about it in terms of, say, a business pitch as well, where I'm going to try to get you to buy a new piece of software, for example. Well, what would happen if the characters were you and your customers and Maybe it's not a forest so much, but maybe the landscape in which you and your customers are located is a really complicated technical ecosystem with lots of players. Well, why not just draw a little map of what that looks like? And then after you've imagined these characters in this kind of a setting, what needs to happen? And then just draw me a little timeline. What happens at the beginning? What happens in the middle? And what is sort of the grand reveal at the end? After these characters have done something, how have they changed? And what do they look like at the end of this story? And just draw it. And I go on, but what's cool, and I've seen this thousands of times, if you take people who are either great storytellers or people who think that they're miserable storytellers, (laughs) and you give them this simple little visual decoder structure, and you set a clock, and you say, I'm going to ask you to draw these five pictures, and I'm going to walk you through each one of them. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to give you two minutes to draw each one for a total of 10 minutes. The story that's in your mind will emerge. Guaranteed. And very often, there are very, very few words in it. It's powerful.
0: You know, one application I thought for this visual decoder for me personally involves some occasional workshops I do where I'm walking a group of business owners through, through the customer acquisition journey and understanding who their customer is and, and using story to hook their customer. And I can see in my next workshop bringing out your book and teaching them and sitting down with them and taking a half hour, just walking them through that visual decoder exercise, I think will be so helpful because many of them are, are such analytical thinkers, many of the people who I, who I work with at these events.
1: I do, as you do, a lot of different presentations and workshops. And I'll just give you a handful of some recent case studies mm. um, just to show the variety Of individuals and the variety of of the range of expertise of people with whom I have done what you just described. Mm. At the beginning of a workshop where the objective is to reach clarity around something complicated, every single time I begin with spending 30 minutes having people draw their visual decoder. And I'll just give you sort of a breadth of examples from the last few months. Some of these have been live and some of these have been done by, by Zoom. I worked with NASA Jet Propulsion Lab. Recently, I went down to Pasadena and worked with many of the principal investigators. These are the people that are literally building the Mars rovers and the the Mars exploration craft. Jet Propulsion Laboratory, for people who are not familiar with it, is a part of Caltech, located down in Pasadena. And if you've ever, if you're a space junkie or if you're a science person and you've ever watched the landing of one of the Mars rovers on the red planet, And you see mission control, you're actually seeing inside Jet Propulsion Laboratory. They Mm. conceive of, design, build, and then control all of the interplanetary craft for for NASA. Now, you might ask, why would those people, those hardcore analytical engineers, literally the rocket scientists, (laughs) literally rocket scientists, why would they want to tell a story? Well, because guess what? Going to Mars costs a couple of billion dollars, and it takes 15 years to set up the whole system and get there. Mm -hmm. And then once you get there, you want to make it worth your while. So you want to stay a while. JPL, and this is all public information, has to sell. And who is their client? Their client is NASA. Mm -hmm. And who is NASA's client? NASA's customer is the American tax-paying public. We have to be convinced that the billions of dollars that is being used to put a rover on Mars has something of value to us. Hmm. So even these scientists who are as hardcore engineers as you can get, understand that they need to be able to tell the story of what is this science going to accomplish and what's it going to look like? And frankly, what is it even going to feel like when we do discover life on another planet? That will make the whole payoff worthwhile. And that's why we're telling stories. So that's just one example. Another one is there's there's a little technology company not far from where I am, called Google. Um, And I've. uh, this is also public information. I've been working with uh, some of the senior teams at Google over the last many months to share a story about the evolving internet. And as Mm. anybody who works on the internet might know, a lot of the reason that the internet has been so successful over the last 15 years is because it's been driven by advertising. And that advertising has been driven largely by the much maligned third-party cookie that little piece of code that gets set on your computer and kind of tracks you as you're going through looking at things. And that's what serves up advertising for you. Well, the cookie, as we know, is not very privacy-preserving. So the cookie is going away. And Apple has an approach to that. And all the main tech players have their own approach. And Google, being one of the the biggest players in the internet space, is investing in more privacy-preserving technologies that will continue to support free and open access to the internet. Now there's a story there that needs to be told. And we're working with a very different group of audience also using the pop-up pitch tools to tell that story. So you can see there's tech, there's science, I'm working with healthcare organizations. In every case, the people are different. They might be engineers, they might be policy makers, they might be healthcare professionals, they might be financial uh, executives. But in every case, what's being realized is the world's really complicated. My audience's time is increasingly difficult to get. The way that I'm going to share and persuade with all of these audiences that this particular perspective is useful is by telling this story. And I'm going to start that story by drawing pictures of who I'm talking about and what it's going to mean to them. Mm.
0: That scenario I was talking about earlier with with my situation, can someone... Uh, Should someone be certified? Uh, Can they get certified to teach this material from Pop-Up Pitch? Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Yes. Um,
1: In fact, Jeff, I, for the last 12 years, have been running an online video-based training academy. It's called Napkin Academy, the napkinacademy.com and yeah there's a certification process there and all of the th- all of the lessons that are in all of my books going all the way back to the back of the napkin 10 years ago and you mentioned some of the other show and tell about how to make a great presentation even if you're terrified of getting on stage and now the pop up pitch which is really providing you with the content quickly creating the best content all of those lessons are available on napkinacademy.com and sure you can you can absolutely get certified and Give yourself a diploma to put on the wall. And mm. uh, for people who are on LinkedIn, Napkin Academy has a certification process. So when you've gone through the red belt and black belt lessons, you mm. get a little icon that you can put on your LinkedIn profile and that kind of thing. So absolutely.
0: Awesome. Well, let's move to hour two. Our thinking goes from visual brainstorming to a tightly structured verbal. Storytelling. This is where the words come in. So talk a bit about, I think it's the bumpy but up storyline. Yeah, we, we have several to choose from, but that's the one that serves as our foundation here, right?
1: Yeah. So so uh, again, thank you. You're, um, I tried to structure the book very clearly and you're playing it back so clearly that I, I think we, <laughs> we might have succeeded. Um, the first hour is you spend unpacking your story with your pictures, which we've just described. Now that you've got your drawings on some sketches, some pads of paper, now it's time to craft that verbal narrative, to bring the words back in. And so here's the really the heart of the pop-up pitch is something that I call the 10-page pitch. And what it is, is it's me reverse engineering what consistently is regarded as the most persuasive storyline of all of human history, otherwise known as the classic hero's journey, Hmm. otherwise known as the kind of the uh, insight of a fellow named Joseph Campbell, who wrote a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces, which is his lifetime assessment that traveling the world and listening to the greatest stories of the greatest cultures of all time. There's a great consistency that he sees on how the true stories, stories that are so powerful, so memorable, they they become the stuff of myth. What he found is that no matter where you go, on the planet, and no matter where you go in the history of humanity, the stories that have been told that last the longest all share a common structure. Mm -hmm. And he called it the hero's journey. And the idea is all of us are heroes in our own life. And most all of us are reluctant heroes in this world. And that these great myths follow this kind of bumpy, but ultimately uplifting storyline with a series of very predictable emotional turns and moves. Mm -hmm. And perhaps the simplest example, or I don't know if it's the simplest, but the most well-known example of a, of a straight interpretation of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey was when George Lucas wrote the first Star Wars movie. What was the first one called? The New Hope. Yeah. Um, so the very original 1976, 1977 Star Wars movie that that gave birth to the entire Star Wars universe. And that story hews perfectly to the hero's journey, beat for beat. Mm which is also, by the way, exactly the same story that J.K. Rowling uses throughout the entire Harry Potter series. It's also the storyline that J.R.R. Tolkien used throughout mm-hmm. all of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. It's also the storyline that the entire Marvel comic universe uses to tell mm-hmm. each of their stories, whether it's Spider-Man or Iron Man or Wonder Woman. She's DC, but same, <laughs> same notion. You got to make that distinction. You got to be clear. Someone <laughs> will get mad. It's the same storyline that is used in the Hunger Games. Hmm. Uh, Pretty much every incredibly popular story uses exactly the same storyline with exactly the same set of characters. We just change the name, change the age, change the gender, change the nationality, but we're telling essentially the same story. So my thought was, if I've got a business story to tell, why would I not just use the same storyline? Why wouldn't I do that? So what I've done is, I broke it up into 10 discrete steps, 10 turns, each one of which is defined by one sentence. In your opening slide, you are going to establish common ground with your audience. In your second slide, you're going to terrify your audience by saying, no matter how good things look today, there's a giant problem coming up tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And then in your third slide, you're going to say, but guess what? On the other side of that problem, there is hope. And then on your fourth slide, you're going to say, but you know what? We're not going to realize that hope if we keep doing the same dumb stuff that we've been doing up to this point. So here comes the grand reveal. Here's the use the force moment, Luke. On the fifth slide, you say, but wait, what would happen if this time you tried something different, a bold move that shifts the, the landscape so that it actually is solvable? And that, Jeff, is where you introduce the product or the service or the promise that you wanted to persuade someone with. Now, here's what's cool. In that entire 10 slides, that entire 10-page story, you do not even introduce your solution until you're at the halfway point. Mm. The entire first half of your story is not meant to terrorize your audience into saying, oh my God, the world is ending. (laughs) It is meant to create an intentionally evocative set of ups and downs that draw the audience in, So, that whatever it is that you're about to reveal, they've already identified as exactly the thing that they need in their life to meet the ups and downs that they're facing. And then at that point, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's at least simple because at that point, you've already established the hook. And here's where you insert why you need my product X or Mm -hmm. why solution Z is the one you need because it is the unique one that this time around Mm -hmm. provides that bold. Use the force moment that people needed all along. And then you end the whole 10 by saying, but you know what will happen if you actually adopt this new solution? Not only will you solve the original problem, but you will attain a level of security or greatness or success far beyond what you originally sought out to. And that's the real key of those hero's journey stories is that by the time you've slain the dragon with Excalibur or with your magic tool or your magic wand or what have you, hmm. by the time you come out of it at the end, it was never about slaying the dragon. It was about living a better life or being a big, offering an even bigger solution. And imagine if you could do that with your software solution or with hmm. the new product that you're seeking to persuade someone to buy.
0: I like how you've you've tweaked the hero's journey a bit to make it more effective for business storytelling. Maybe share a little bit more, if you don't mind, about how you've borrowed from behavioral economics. Like what is that? <laughs> oh, sure.
1: Wow. Yes. Okay. So um behavioral economics. And here we I'm I'm gonna introduce a whole bunch of guys named Dan. <laughs> um, <laughs> There's a fellow named Daniel Kahneman who wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. He's a Nobel Prize-winning economist, fantastic, fascinating character, and one of the leading lights in this science of behavioral economics. There's another fellow named Dan Ariely, who a decade ago wrote a book called Predictably Irrational, also about behavioral economics. The notion is this. Throughout much of the history of the dismal science of economics, the perception was that we as humans are driven by rational decision-making. And you could build economic models, which many people have done, based on rational decision making, that each of us will make decisions in order to maximize the utility of our resources over the long term. And it doesn't work because we humans are a really, really fallible animal. And that it turns out that we don't make decisions based on rational thinking at all. And the beauty of what so many people in behavioral economics have begun to study, is that the ways in which we are irrational are actually quite predictable. That what we really seek from life is not to maximize utility over the long term. If we did, economics would be easy. But what we're seeking to do is maximize emotional feeling at each moment of our day. And that is both a trap and it's a gift, because. Those emotions are driven by our ancient need as an animal to try to survive. And so we tend to make decisions in the moment that are based on what do I need to do to survive right now? So what they've been able to do with behavioral economics is is break down a lot of the decision-making process that people make so that we can understand it. And what I've taken is some of those insights, such things as positive priming Mm -hmm. and positive framing, and some of these terms that come from the world of behavioral economics, and weave them in to that 10-page story so that we know that by the time you finish the story, people are going to feel good about what you've shared with them. And someone who's feeling good is more likely to make an abundant money spending decision than someone who's feeling really awful. And so I I sound maybe a little like a broken record, but again, the work of designing the best story that motivates people to take positive action has already been done. The work of identifying and building out that story has been done by generations of people before us. All I've done is you know, metaphorically stand on their shoulders and say, well, if we break it down into 10 slides and each slide has this intent, emotional intent to lead to this outcome, it's a pretty straightforward process to literally, Jeff... Mm. In two hours, create the best presentation you've ever given.
0: I love it. As you were talking about all your Dan's, I couldn't help but think of all the Dan's I've had on this podcast, or at least a dozen (laughs) authors named Dan or Dana (laughs) that I've had on this podcast over the years, and many of them multiple times, like you. So I've had the chance to to see Dan uh, present in person uh, years ago at a I think it was an Exact Target conference before they were acquired by by Salesforce. This was in Mm -hmm. Indianapolis, and of course, one of the things Dan that you're so good at is drawing on your slides as you're telling your story as you're presenting. I'd love you to just kind of talk about some of the tools you use. I'm sure, I'm sure you'd ask this often. I, I didn't want to lead with this, but I'm so desperate to know. Is it just simple PowerPoint and uh, you know a, a pen writing on the slide uh, in, in PowerPoint? Is it something else that you like mm-hmm. to use to, to make those drawings and keep people engaged as you're presenting?
1: No, you got it right. Um, I do draw when I talk and I know how to draw. But more importantly, Jeff, the way I phrase it is I've learned to draw badly really well. (laughs) Um, So it's just practice. It's just like maybe speaking a language or learning how to ski or something. The first time you try it, you're just not very good. But with a little bit of practice, you get better at it. So I encourage everybody to just practice You know, chewing gum and walking at the same time. In this mm-hmm. case, it's talking while you draw. And the first time you do it, it'll be hard. But over time, mm-hmm. it'll, it'll not only become second nature, but what will often happen for many people I've met is that we become more verbally lucid when we are drawing as we talk because we have kind of a back and forth going on between our mind's eye and the Mm. sheet of paper and our verbal mind. That's not true for everybody, but it's Mm. true for a lot of people, that we actually become more clear in our verbal communication while we're drawing at the same time. But back to the tools, and I appreciate you asking, just on a very practical, tactical basis, my number one tool, even under... The home, you know, being locked in the office of COVID for these last 18 months is this giant whiteboard that you see behind me. Mm. And I know that, that uh, people are just listening to this. They can't see it, but um, I've got a big whiteboard behind me. I've got a good webcam that has a good depth of field. I actually bought a Logitech Brio, B-R-I-O, and ah. it's a great webcam. It's better than I found on my laptop because it's got a good depth of field. What that means is I can literally be on a call with someone, as you and I are doing, and be drawing on the whiteboard at the same time, and they will see it. Now, mm-hmm. that's great if you have a whiteboard available to you, but most of the time we don't. And a whiteboard is kind of useless if you're trying to present to a lot of people at the same time. So draw on a whiteboard. That's awesome. Of course, there are lots of digital tools. If you have an iPad, you can draw on your iPad. That's fine. Uh, I use a Microsoft Surface. hmm I love it because it is a fully functional laptop that has a pen that comes with it, and it's got a touchscreen, which is also fine. But how do you draw while you're presenting? And I still am very old school mm. in the sense that I still just use good old garden variety PowerPoint. And believe me, Jeff, over the years, I've used every piece of shared whiteboarding software available, every type of on-screen drawing tool that's available available. And for the basic type of sketching that is useful for me in a live presentation, I simply go into PowerPoint. I even have a blank page. I go into presentation mode. And for those of you who've ever used PowerPoint, you've probably never seen it. When you're in presentation mode and you're just looking at your slide, if you roll your mouse or your finger over the lower left-hand corner of the screen, there's a little pen icon that appears. It's been there every single time for 25 <laughs> years and no one's ever seen it. And if you just activate that pen, you now have the ability to sketch on your slide in real time mm. as beautifully or as poorly as you want. It doesn't matter because if you're presenting that slide, whether it's live or whether it's on a Zoom or a Go-To meeting, and you've taken over the screen, nothing is more captivating to an audience when they can see you than when you simply start drawing on the slide as you talk. Nothing. Mm. Your audience literally cannot look away. Even if what you're drawing is awful, the fact that you are showing their eye, look here, and here's this little stick figure, or here's this little smiley face, or even something as simple as just circling the three most important words in your text and then connecting them with an arrow, that live visual action captivates our human visual you neocortex know, mm-hmm. uh, and we can't look away.
0: And I can vouch for that having seen you present in person. I, I want to say you did this, and I think this would probably take some of the, the pressure off for many. You had drawings you had done by hand, I think that you drew in advance on the slide. And then in the moment you were often embellishing those. Is that is my memory accurate on that?
1: Never ask the magician how they do their secret, oh. <laughs> how they do their their trick, but I'm going to tell you because you're right the magic of the person who's drawing live is that it's slate of hand. Mm. You are right. 80% of the drawing I did in advance. I did it on a piece of paper and I scanned it in and just stuck it in my PowerPoint, or Mm. I drew it using the same drawing tools that are in PowerPoint in advance. But here's the thing that's amazing. When you are presenting live, all you need to do is make a couple of marks that finish the drawing or circle or highlight particular pieces. And in the mind of your audience, they think you just drew the whole thing. <laughs> Try it, it works, it's magic, it is frigging yeah. magic. And now you know the, the secret of how it works. And there's a corollary to it as well, which as much as I advocate drawing while you talk, unless you are incredibly accomplished, meaning you've put in your 10,000 hours of practice, Every time you try to draw something while you're talking about it, it's too slow, Mm. no matter how good you are. Even the time it takes to write the word, uh, (laughs) you know, new solution, nobody wants to watch you write down that word. It's too slow. So what you simply do is you pre-create your slide so that 80% of what you're going to draw is already there. And then when you talk, you simply complete the last 20%. You just... Close the circle, circle the word, add the last two letters, and the audience will think that you just drew the whole thing alive in front of them. And that's where the magic takes place.
0: Well, I recommend uh, all of Dan's books. Uh, I first was introduced to him when uh, a former leader of mine took the whole staff to a bookstore and said, you can pick out any book you want, and I'll pay for it. And the book I grabbed was the back of the napkin. That was
1: the the book that did well enough that enabled me to quit my day job and do this thing, what whatever Jeff, this is. So <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you picked that one up. You you helped me uh, stop working for the man and start working for myself. So uh,
0: well, I've been in in, in raptured, uh, with your work ever since. Uh, before we wrap up, Dan, anything else you want us to know or walk away with from the pop up pitch that I didn't ask about or, or didn't cover? I know we covered it pretty thoroughly, but.
1: Yeah, well the 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 thing that I I'm a big subscriber to again it sounds real trite but this notion of the abundant mindset. I've met many and worked with many other um aspiring authors and and, and thinkers and people with great great ideas and very often I found that really thoughtful people stop themselves from getting their idea out because they're afraid someone else is going to steal it. Mm. That may be true, but don't let that be your limitation. If your idea is good enough to steal, then it's a good idea. So <laughs> run with that. But the point more more of that is then I've made all of the tools we've talked about today available for free on my website. so the visual decoder template is available for free, and the entire ten page pitch template, including the ten page pitch powerPoint, pre-created. 10-page uh, slide deck in PowerPoint. They're all available for free. And all you have to do is go to my website, which is real simple. It's danrome.com, D-A-N-R-O-A-M.com. Halfway down the homepage, you're going to see download the tools and they are free. You just have to input your email address and then you'll get the download as a PDF or as a PowerPoint. So that's one thing. And then the last I'd share is with a colleague of mine, really interesting fellow named Jim Edwards, who is a content marketing master who runs something called the JimEdwardsMethod.com. We are launching on April 15th, the 10-page pitch wizard software. Mm -hmm. So there's a link on my website to that. It's not available yet, uh, but it will be very soon. And the software is an online software tool that allows you to simply input the 10 pages with a headline and text, all guided, and it outputs your PowerPoint automatically for you Mm. following the 10-page pitch template. It's pretty cool.
0: That is awesome. Well, the book, again, is called The Pop-Up Pitch, The Two-Hour Creative Sprint to the Most Persuasive Presentation of Your Life. His name is Dan Rome, danrome.com. We'll put links to that and the pop-up pitch website in the show notes. Dan, thank you so much for being here. I love chatting with you and talking with you about your books. Jeff, this is my pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, lots of great resources to take advantage of. I've listed them all on the page created just for this episode. You can find that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 410 for episode 410. That's readtoleadpodcast.com slash 410. And while you're there, be sure to grab my free ebook, Dream Big, the five personal habits that will supercharge your life. I unpack what they are and how to install them daily into your life. These are all habits I've found that many, many successful people practice, and I think you can benefit from them as well. Once again, read to leadpodcastcom to find it all. I've got a lot of great and free content coming your way with interviews scheduled through May at this point. It's all headed your way, and I so appreciate you coming back to this show each and every week. If you're not currently subscribed, be sure to do that so you get notified when new content comes out. And you can subscribe just about anywhere you can imagine through that Amazon Echo or Google Home device you may have sitting around to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, YouTube and dozens of other podcast apps. You'll find Read to Lead at just about all of them. That does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead.